Thank you. If you have a hard copy of the Bible, which most people don't have, if you open it to the middle of the Bible, it is very likely that it will open up to the book of Psalms. And if you have a Bible and you open, it is also very likely that most of us know at least a Psalms. And even no, non-Christians will actually heard of Psalms before, especially when they attend funeral. Psalms 23 are always read. So this morning, as we continue our series on uh, the series of wise living, what we're trying to do is to give an overview of each of the wisdom books first, and then we will pick some topical things to zoom in on wise living. So last week, Pastor Caroline touched on Proverbs, give you an overview of it. And today, I want to touch on the book of Psalms. Let me just give you a few quotes on what people say about the book of Psalms. Someone said that Psalms is almost like the entire Bible because it, is, it has everything in it. Richard Baxter, who is an English Puritan church leader in the 15th century, this is what he says. He said, the book of Psalms is a limpid lake. Limpid means crystal clear, transparent. The book of Psalms is a limpid lake which reflects every mood of man's changeful sky. It is a river of consolation which, though swollen with many tears, never fails to gladden the fainting. It is a garden of flowers which never lose their fragrance, though some of the roses have sharp thorns. It is a string instrument which registers every note of praise and prayer, of triumph and trouble, of gladness and sadness, of hope and fear, and unites them all in the full multi-court of human experience. John Calvin, the reformer, say, the book of Psalms is an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For no one will discover in himself a single feeling that the image is not reflected in this mirror. All griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, anxieties, in short, all those tumultuous agitation that humanity experienced, the Holy Spirit had here represented to the life. And the last one, Ambrose of Milan says, Although all Scripture breathed the grace of God, yet sweet beyond all others is the book of Psalms. He said, History instructs, the law teaches, prophecy announces, rebukes, chastens, morality persuades. But in the book of Psalms, we have the fruit of all this. And a kind of medicines for the salvation of man. Book of Psalms. I think a lot of people love the book of Psalms because it spells out all the emotions of life experience in the book of Psalms. Now, this is what I attempt to do this morning. I want to begin by giving you uh, very quickly 10 facts on the book of Psalms. You may or you may not be aware of it. And then I want to zoom in 
over one point in the book of Psalms. I believe the entire book of Psalms is moving us towards this one big idea. I'll come to that. First and foremost, Psalms, 10 facts on the book of Psalms. You may not notice, Psalms is actually not the longest book in the Bible, in case you think it is. It is the longest book in the Bible, or the largest book in the Bible, if you consider it by chapters. 150 chapters, yes, it is the largest book in the Bible, but in terms of words, it is not. It came in third. The largest book in the Bible, according to number of words, is actually the book of, not Jude, okay? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And number two is actually Genesis. So some is actually came in third in terms of number of words, but in terms of chapters, it is definitely number one. Number two, in case you do not know, at least six authors, because we tend to refer to Psalms as Psalms of David, but actually there are six or more than six authors. There are only about 73 Psalms written by David. 73. And a guy by the name of Asaph wrote 12. And Sons of Korah, 11. And then Heman and Eton wrote 2. Solomon and, and Moses wrote 3. And Anonymous, 49. 49 Psalms are anonymous. And the oldest book in the Psalms probably is Psalms 90, written by Moses. Number three, it contains the longest and shortest chapters in the Bible. Longest, of course, is Psalms 119. There are 176 verses in there. And shortest is 117. That has only two verses. So longest and shortest chapters in the Bible is found in the book of Psalms. Number four, it is the only book quoted by Satan. In the temptation account, quoted by Satan. Satan did not quote any other parts of the scripture except from the book of Psalms. Number five, only Isaiah is more quoted or alluded in the New Testament than the Psalms. So Psalms has 414 quotations or alluded quotations in the New Testament. And it appears in 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Isaiah came in top. It's probably the most quoted or alluded uh, book in the Bible, in the New Testament. Number six, 41% of all the Old Testament quotes, as in direct quotes, not just alluded to, that just now I mentioned, direct quotes, 41% of the Old Testament quotes in the New Testament are from the book of Psalms. 41, almost half of the quotation in the book of New Testament from the Old Testament, 41% of Psalms are being quoted. Number seven, if you're not aware, Jesus used quotes from Psalms more than from any part of the Old Testament. So most of Jesus' quotes are from the book of Psalms. Not all, but majority of his quotes from the Old Testament are from the book of Psalms. Number eight, Jesus began 
and concluded his earthly ministry by quoting from the book of Psalms. He begins his ministry when he, he went into the temple and he saw this injustice whereby people, the, the people are prevented from bringing the sacrifices to the temple. And he was upset. He overturned the money changers and then he chased them out of the temple. And he says, zeal for your house will consume me. And that is from the book of Psalms. And then what was his last final words on earth on the cross? Not, not a, uh, he said that he's a father into your hand, I commit my spirit. And then it is finished. So that is also from the book of Psalms. And number nine, you may or you may not be aware when you read through the book of Psalms, there is always this word that appears at the side. Who can tell me? Selah, that's right. Selah appears 71 times throughout the books of Psalms. And the most recognized meaning of the Hebrew word Selah is forever. And it is often interpreted as an instruction calling for a break in the singing of the Psalms. Because Psalms is actually composed in songs. Calling for a break or to pause and calmly think about what you have just read. So Selah simply means pause. Pause for a moment. Although, I, I often wonder singing, how do they pause? Suddenly they stop, pause for five seconds, and then they resume singing again. How do they do that? Uh, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, lastly, I think most people are probably, you may be aware of all that, the nine things that I mentioned. Most people probably are not aware of this final thing that I'm going to say about Book of Psalms. Do you know that the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, includes an extra psalm, 151. You can read it if you want. There's 100 psalms, 151. Uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, they say most likely it's written by King David when he slew Goliath. It's not a long psalm, it's just a short one. But for some reason, it didn't make it into the canon, into the uh, Psalms as in entirety. I'm sure many, many did make it as well. So there's Psalms 151 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, Psalms 151. Anybody here aware of it? So I was right. Most people are not aware of it. Now, these are the facts of the uh, book of Psalms. But I think there's one theme, one idea that I want to bring across to you about the book of Psalms, it is this. It is that worship, if you read the book of Psalms, worship is, is not an event to attend or to watch. As increasingly, sometimes church becomes like that. In an entertainment culture, that when we go to somewhere, we watch, we see singing, we have someone preach and all that kind of things. But worship is actually not an event to attend or watch. It is a lifestyle to be lived. So worship is a lifestyle. What you do throughout the day is your act of worship to God. And I want to show you from the book of Psalm that it is actually pointing towards that direction, that worship 
isn't an event to attend. Worship is not 9.30 in the morning until 10.45. Worship is not 11.30 second service until 12.45 to 1 o'clock. Worship is not an event. It is a lifestyle. It is a seven-day pursuit, not a one-day program. It is an ongoing lifestyle, not a specific liturgy. It is an, an overflow, not an outer show. It is authentic. It is not automated. It is not just a habit in a sense, you know. It is authentic. It is real. It is lifestyle. It is not an event. It is not a show, a watch. And I want to show you from the book of Psalm that it is pointing towards the direction that worship is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. It is not just an event that you attend one hour, one and a half hours, and then you go home and live your life as per normal. I was uh, in the South Asian countries. I, I won't name many a country. Nowadays, it's not appropriate to name, you know. Uh, um, People will go into the temple to worship. They will offer sacrifices. And then after that, they will walk out of the temple and, and they will cheat tourists. They offer their sacrifice and then they come out of it and they will do whatever they can do to cheat the tourists. To hide, hide the price and all that kind of thing. It is not an event. It's not just something you do. It is, it is a lifestyle. And, and here, Psalms, I'm going to show you, Psalm is actually pointing towards that. William Barclay is a very famous commentator um, way before many people write commentaries. He was one of the earlier ones, and he's very readable. It's always uh, good for a preacher to, to consult uh, William Barclay's commentary because he's right in the lay people's language in a sense. He said there are two great days in a person's life. A day we are born and the day we discover why. And for me, if I answer the second question, the why for me as a believer is that I live for God. I live for the glory of God. I live my life for the glory of God, to bring Him glory. And he went on to comment on this. William Barclay said, True worship is the offering to God of one's body and all that one does every day with it. Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy. However noble, nor a ritual, however magnificent. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to Him. Take your body. Take all the tasks that you have to do every day. Take the ordinary work of the shop, the factory, the office, the home, and offer that all as an act of worship to God. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not an event. No one understood this better than the Jews. They knew what it was to worship as a lifestyle. In fact, they have this whole book of Psalms describing their worship journeys. It is the history of their life of worship. It is full of personal worship, full of corporate worship. It is a book about how they celebrated God in an authentic way 
In Psalms, you will have poetry, musical form, the history of the Hebrew people from Moses to David and beyond. Much of the feeling behind the events is contained in this journalings. The whole life is being journaled. Whole history, whole people's group is being documented in the book of Psalms. You read about 1-2 Samuel, 1-2 Kings, 1-2 Chronicles, and then the kingdom era, all about their lives and all that. But when you come to the book of, and these this six books that I've just mentioned, they contain events. But when you come to the book of Psalms, it contains the emotions. Because when you read those books, 1-2 Kings, 1-2 Chronicles, and 1-2 Samuel, you just read the events. But Psalms, it brings in the emotions of what they were thinking, what they were doing. So you can't read one without the other. Psalms is a companion of those six books because it spells out the emotions of all things that happened during that time. They were written as a response to the everyday occurrences going on in their life and nation. I want to show you what I mean by that by briefly mentioning this. You see in Psalms how they responded to God in times of tragedy. You read about that because all those records in 1-2 Chronicles and, and Samuels and Kings, they face a lot of tragedy. But Psalms tells you something about how they responded to God in times of tragedy. Now, I don't have a... a, a both verses printed out. It's just too long to read. But I'm going to select few verses from here and there. Just read it to you. But if you want to take note, you, you can take note of that. Psalms 88, for example. You see how they responded to God in times of tragedy. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night, Lord, I cried out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ears to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles. And my life draw near to death. Who cannot identify when you go through uh, uh, tragedy in your life? I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am the one without strength. I am set apart from the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You see how they responded to tragedy? That spells out, that don't spell out in, in those historical accounts that you read? Psalms 91, again, verse 1 and 2 is a, is a, is a, is a verse that people go to. Who, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, He is my God in whom I trust. You see that? Worship is a lifestyle. And then you see how they praise God in times of victory. Psalms 66 says this, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. See how they respond to God in terms of victory. And you can read that in Psalms 92 as well. And then you look at how they converse with God in times of confusion and anger. 
I mean, sometimes when you read Psalms, it is so honest. It is so honest that you're so angry with God, you're so frustrated with God, and they, they just lash out, God, why, why, why? And sometimes in Christian environment, when a Christian being too honest with God and, and, and you, know, you get some rebuke from people, hey, you got to have faith in God, you know? Psalm 73, you've never read Psalm 73 before, go and read it today. Is a man that is so angry with God and so confused. He said, God, how can the wicked so prosper and the godly ones suffer? How, how does that square up? You read that, see his frustration in him. Let me read to you a few verses. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, he said, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For I had, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy. They are strong. And here I am. Maybe I have cancer. And I serve you all my life. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. And you go on and see his frustration and how he turned around later on. You see, Psalms communicate those people in real life with times of confusion and anger. Look at Psalms 58, for example. They are so angry. He said, Break the teeth in their mouths, O God, Lord. Tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. See that? He's so honest, brutally honest, angry, confused. It reflects their everyday life in a sense. And then, of course, you have how they cared for each other in times of need. Who doesn't know Psalms 23? I preached an entire sermon on this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then you read the Psalms 37, how, how they, he said, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. And then Psalm 42 who is not familiar with Psalm 42 that say, Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's almost like commanding his soul, you know. Why are you feeling so downcast? Why so disturbed within you? Come on, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. You see, Psalms involved in their lifestyle. Worship as a lifestyle how they cared for each other in times of need. Not over yet, how they repented and confessed in times of disobedience. Who doesn't know Psalms 51? When David committed sins, he broke the last four of the five commandments and he came before the Lord and confessed. Psalms 32, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the one whose sin in the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is in no deceit. Psalms 51, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, according to your love, according to your great compassion. Wash away all my iniquity, you cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Please don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, Holy Spirit, come and go. That's why he prayed that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see how they repented and confessed in terms of obedience is part of their lifestyle. It is not an event. And then how they found God in times of loneliness. Who doesn't struggle with loneliness? The number one emotions that human beings struggle the most with. Second to that is rejection. And both emotions Jesus experienced on the cross. How they found God in times of loneliness. Who can understand you all that you, you are? Who can understand you? Even the closest person who journeyed with you for 50 years, 60 years, cannot. Only God can. And here, you can see they bring before the Lord. Psalm 71. In you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me, Lord, and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go to. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver, deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's wombs. I will ever praise you. You see, the sense of loneliness that only God can understand. Psalm 62. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hopes come from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Trust in the Lord at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him. For God is our refuge. They found God in times of loneliness, in times of struggle. And lastly, how they felt about the law of God. Psalms 119 tells us that. Teach me, in verse 33, teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn your hearts towards your statues and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. So all these verses that I've read, all these points that I give to you is to bring you one point that in, the sh in short, it is a snapshot into the worship life of a Jew. Not only their worship services, assemblies, and congregational events that is also part of the book of Psalms, but their whole history, their whole background as seen through the emotion of every poetry and every praise. Their worship is a lifestyle. In fact, 
Did you know Psalms chronicles the Hebrews' lives so much that it is actually structured after the first five books of the Old Testament? Did you know that there are actually five books in the book of Psalms? If you don't believe me, uh, turn to the book of Psalms. What is at the top of the first chapter? What does it say? Book 1. They actually break into five books. If you turn to chapter 1, on top of chapter 1, say book 1. If you turn to chapter 42, it say book 2. If you turn to Psalm 73, book 3. Psalms 90, book 4. Psalms 107, book 5. 150 chapters break into five books. And scholars have said they arrange a psalm in these five books based on the five books of the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those chapters largely talk about those issues. Book 1 resembles Genesis, which is chapter 1 to 41, about man and God, about relational and all that. And then book 2 is about Exodus, about redemption. You read that too in that chapter 42 to 72. And book 3 is about tabernacle worship. And you can read that in chapter 73 to 89. And book 4 is about numbers, wandering. Remember in the desert and all that? It's about Psalms 90 to 906. And then book 5 is about Deuteronomy, about a promised life into the future. So it, it is their lifestyle. It is woven into their lives. The worship is not just an event that you attend or watch. It is lifestyle. And Psalms is, is pointing towards that direction. And each of the book, as in book 1, book 2, book 3, book 4, book 5, each of the book always ends with a benediction to indicate that we are moving now to the second book. Uh, end of uh, the first book in Psalms 41 verse 13, it says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And then book 2, start again, come down to the end of book 2, Psalms 72, verse 19. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. And then commence the third book, ending in Psalms 89, verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And then move on to the fourth book. And then finally, accumulating fourth book, uh, Psalms 106. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen and Amen, praise the Lord. Each book finishes and ends with a benediction, and then they start a new book again. Of course, the ending of the benediction is Psalms 150. Not just only for the fifth book, but for the entire a book of Psalms that said, Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. 
Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. As if it is not enough to say sounding cymbals, loud and clashing cymbals. And then concluded by saying, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And he emphasized again. The whole book is praise and worship. It's about our entire lifestyle. And the book of Psalms, you can remember that all those things that I've just mentioned, it can be summarized up in five words. There are praise there. There are prophecy in there. There are pain in there. There are petition in there. And there are poetry in the book of Psalms. All are in there. Praise, prophecy, pain, petition, poetry. That's why they say that it's almost like a mini Bible. It, it contains everything that the Bible is, is about. It is in the book of Psalms. Praise, prophecy, pain, petition, poetry. Worship is a lifestyle. It is not an event. Worship is not yeah, worship time may start at 9.30, but that is not worship per se. That it is worship from 9.30 to 10.45. It is not. It is a lifestyle. Look at Romans chapter 12. Famous verse. Paul said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You see, in the Jewish temple, they offer dead sacrifices. But now, we no longer need to offer dead sacrifices because Jesus is our sacrifice. Die on the cross once and for all, as Hebrew says. And therefore now, we offer to God ourselves as a living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual Worship. This is your spiritual act of worship, your lifestyle, your whole being. And then it says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Once you learn how to give your living sacrifice to God, then you will learn what God's will is. Until then, you probably never discover, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so the sacrifice now we bring is, Hebrews says, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks in his name. And he didn't stop there, not just our sacrifice of praise and worship, where worship is the lifestyle, it finishes off with this, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You see, the, sacrifice, the worship now is your whole life, living sacrifice to God. And then allow the Lord to use you as a blessing to those around. For such sacrifices, God is and pleased. And that is your being as a worship to God. 
I think so someone says happy moments, praise God. Difficult moments, seek God. Quiet moments, worship God. Painful moments, trust God. Every moment, thank God. Whole life. Doesn't matter what happened to you. Whole life is a worship to God. Your whole being. Every moment, praise God. Thank God. Trust God. Worship God. Seek God. Everything, your whole being is a worship to God. Someone said that life is like a piano. The white keys represent happiness and the black shows sadness. But as you go through life's journey, remember that the black keys also make music. Remember that. The black keys also make music. You don't just play the piano based on the white keys. In the good moments, you worship the Lord with your whole being. Charles Spurgeon used to say, any fool can sing in the day. It is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by songs in the night. To read by. Songs in the night comes only from God. They are not the power of man. So there you go. I hope I can I help you to see from the book of Psalms that worship is not an event. So wise people, as we're talking about wise living in our series, wise living knows that worship is not an event. It is a lifestyle. Every moment, your whole being is a living sacrifice to God. Let me finish with final note on the book of Psalms. I mentioned to you that the longest chapter in the Bible is in Psalms. Psalms 119. And the shortest chapter in the Bible is also from the book of Psalms. Psalms 117. What I haven't tell you is that the middle chapter of the Bible is also in the book of Psalms. And that is Psalms 118. So Psalms 117 shortest. Psalms 119 longest. Psalms 118 is the middle chapter of the Bible. And in that chapter, the heart, the heart of Psalms 118, which is the middle chapter of the Bible, is this verse. It's not quite the middle verse of the Bible. I was hoping against all hope that it is the middle verse of the Bible, but it is not. Some people kind of want to ban it that way to have more force, uh, 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 become very unethical in that sense. Uh, but it is not quite the middle verse of the Bible, but it's in the middle chapter of the Bible. But the heart of Psalms 118, the middle chapter of the Bible, is this verse. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Worship is your life. Trust the Lord 
whatever, good time, bad time, busy time, every, trust the Lord. Take refuge in Him. Let your life be a worship to Him. Because extravagant, when worship becomes lifestyle, and the Lord is your guide, you'll do amazing things. Let me just say a word of prayer, and now I'm going to invite a musician to come and lead us in this song based on, I mean, the team is all inside, but I take the verse from 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Father, thank you for the uh, book of Psalms. All of us here can identify in some way or another the emotion that is expressed in this book because we are not very much different from whether it's King David or, or sons of Korah or Solomon. We are not very different. We are all cut from the same piece of cloth. It may be made into a blouse or pants or a shirt or a t-shirt, but the fundamental materials are the same. And because we are the same, therefore we go through the same struggle. We go through the same pain. We go through ups and downs, joy, sorrow. And we thank you for the book of Psalms that can help us express, help us to connect with this living God. And help us to recognize that worship is a lifestyle. It is not an event. So may you speak to us as we go through this series on wise living. Help us at this point at least to recognize that wise people know that worship is a lifestyle, not an event. It is for your glory. It is living for your glory. Whatever we do, as Paul say, eat or drink, whatever we do, we do it for you. Thank you, Lord, as we close this time of service, as we sing, may you bless us as we depart from here that we will continue to worship you with our lifestyle. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name.